house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Six hundred ninety-six thousand Caucasian males in the U.S. prison system. You can cycle through the entire population in a year if you look at nineteen hundred and six faces every night. So I did. For a year. For thirteen years. Reopen the case. We've had multiple leads. They've all been false alarms. And Jess dies a little bit every single time. I don't have the stomach to watch him walk away again. Maybe we go about this a little less officially. Oh, my daughter, that. Hello, and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast drinking Grey Goose at noon. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my incredibly distracting bangs, Chris File. Hello, Chris. First thing. We're definitely not the only podcast drinking Grey Goose at noon. <laughs> okay. We don't drink Grey Goose at noon, but uh, definitely not. Yeah, that's true. Also, Grey Goose at Noon, the other Claire Denis movie that was released <laughs> uh, last year, the third Claire Denis. Did better than the um, other two, strangely enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, incredibly distracting bangs. I got a listeners, I got a text message from Joe this morning saying, Please know that I want to spend a decent amount of time talking about the movies where Julia Roberts has bangs. Yes. I went and I did not to like jump the gun. No, please do because like I, 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 did, I ran out of time to do as much research as I wanted to do. So please tell me you did. I immediately rushed to her filmography mm-hmm. and was looking at the movies that I at least remember her having bangs in. Right. Uh, it's quite an oeuvre. I uh, it, you could also say that it is the um as the children would say flop era Julia Roberts oh whenever she has bangs. So this was and the sort I'm of not brand... just pinning this on Mother's Day. Uh huh. I wanted to talk about Mother's Day, which is right around this era. Um, I I want to get into this, and I'm glad that you did the the legwork on this because I I want I want to give this Moderate its proper legwork. airing. Um. This is going to be an interesting movie to talk about, Secret in Their Eyes. Secret in Their Eyes. No definite article in the American version of this movie. That was their uh, signal that they had you know, made an adaptation. And from what I have read, I have not watched. Have you seen the original Argentine version of this movie? Yes, that Oscar season, but I have not seen it since, yeah. so it's been a long time. It's a significant plot uh, departures from that one. That yes. one obviously is very, very steeped. In Argentine politics and history of the sort of late twentieth century, uh, pre and post, actually, interesting. Like it's it because I think the the right. furthest, the earliest part portion of that story takes place before the military dictatorship took place, and it's interesting watching, or sorry, reading that plot description after watching like Argentina nineteen eighty five, which deals with the aftermath of all of that. But obviously. You couldn't do an American version of that that had any kind, you know, any of that in, uh, involved in it. They, the this version tries to 
graft onto it a little post 9-11 commentary, which feels very thin. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Doesn't work, and it also feels half-half. It's very Um, half-half. Also because you brought up Argentina 1985. Argentina 1985 also has the same lead actor as the original Secret It's in Their Eyes, Ricardo Duran. There we go. All right. I'm glad we're uh, we're making we're making connections here. Uh, Great actor. Now watching this movie, I'd never seen the original version of this movie, so I had not. Uh, that was, I think, the year before I started at least trying to watch all of the Oscar nominees. So this was I, right. 2009. It was still kind of difficult, even living in New York City, to get your hands on everything, especially. It is actually easier now than it was then especially the international nominees yeah. being able to see them because there were whole seasons where yes. everything was qualifying release. And this one, I don't think got it's maybe I'm remembering incorrectly, but uh, this one I think is one of the ones that didn't really get much of a limited or general release until yeah. after the nomination. It's, it's an interesting one. This was sort of, there was this era of the foreign language, uh, category and we'll get into this a lot more uh, after we do the plot description and whatnot but there was an era of this category that I don't necessarily feel like we're in as much anymore where the you had your heavy sort of critical faves and mm-hmm. they were almost always like guaranteed to not win like you knew that whatever movie that was the the heavy critical favorite of the nominated five, was probably going to lose to something that was more broadly popular, was less, you know, sort of... uh, uh, I I don't know. Uh, Do you think that we're kind of... I mean, we've had a lot of really popular, or we've had a lot of, you know, crossover international features in recent years, but... I think that's made a difference, though. I think the fact that movies like Parasite and Drive My Car have crossed over into the major categories has helped those movies that are, you know, more more Mm. critical favorites to... I mean, like, I think, yes, All Quiet on the Western Front rode that line to a more, you know... I was going to use that example, because, like, all quiet on the Western Front, beating EO. Sure, but like a Fantastic Woman won in you know for 2017, and I think even like uh, the Salesman, the Ashkar Farhadi movie, like mm-hmm. that was a huge critical favorite. Um, uh, the fact that a more Tony Erdman though the fact the fact that a more won. Well, was Tony Erdman nominated? Oh, yes. it was. It was. That's true. It was. I actually like The Salesman a lot better than Tony Erdman, so maybe that's my own bias sort of coming through there. Tony Erdman is a movie that has like become, like of the past uh, decades worth of movies, like one of maybe the ten definitive movies for me. But The Salesman's incredible. Yeah. Um, but I think the fact that, like, the and again, Amour was the Best Picture nominee, but the fact that, like, Michael Hanukkah was able to win in 2012 for Amour after not winning in 2009 for The White Ribbon, we'll get into that mm-hmm. whole race I, I, I just feel like we are it's it's less of a it's less of a you know you could set your watch by the fact that like right. departures was going to beat out the class <laughs> and whilst with Bashir and you know what I mean like mm-hmm. those movies that year and it's less of a you know it's 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 a more it's a more daring category now I think it's a more um it's a more crossover-friendly category now, which I think ultimately is to the benefit. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two factors going into it. I think 
broadly people are becoming more interested in international films, especially I think younger generations. There's more access, are. as you mentioned, yeah. There, there is more access to it, but I also think, you know, subtitles are no longer a barrier. I mean, I think most people even watch TV shows with subtitles on mm-hmm. anymore. Um, yeah. But I do also think that the tastes are broadening and are accepting of more. Um, not always. Sure. Uh, and, of course, it's subject to whatever is submitted for uh, individual countries. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, you know, there. I think there is more acceptance of... Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll get into the foreign language race because in many ways it's going to be more interesting almost to talk about the original version of this movie than Secret in the Rise itself because once this movie – there was definitely buzz for this movie based on the Oscar pedigree of the Argentine film and the fact that it stars Julia Roberts and Nicole Kidman and Shuacho Legiafor who uh, – and he was sort of so close to his breakthrough moment with 12 Years a Slave. So there was a lot of – and Billy Ray is a talented director. He directed mm-hmm. uh, Shattered Glass and, you know, a movie that didn't get Oscar Reach. nominations. But – um a lot of people feel like it should have. So there was definitely advanced buzz for this movie and you understood why. Mm-hmm. And then once people saw the movie, it was like, well, well, no, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously not. Obviously this is not going to come to anything. Um, it's not a great translation of material. And you can see how mm-hmm. when the original was arriving in the United States, you know, it might have seemed like, you know, transferring this to post 9-11 uh, American paranoia. We've talked about a lot of movies that um, do that. There are still a ton more that were in the Oscar race and not. Mm-hmm. I mean, aside from it being kind of, a, you know, underbrewed version of that, it feels yeah. a little late but especially because the original came in the season of the hurt locker Mm. year you could see why that would have been yeah the concept for the american version yes right yeah it's it's part of it is frustrating that that is the only thing people can look to to like well if you're going to do an american version of anything and you have to translate some sort of foreign political context to an american version everybody's just like we'll make it about 9 <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what i mean and right. this is a movie that really demonstrates the fact that like that is not a one-size-fits-all and ultimately and yet there are still ways that i think this movie kind of got timid and got you know i think the fact that we'll talk about it once we get into talking about the plot of the movie but i think the, the fact that the main sort of criminal in this movie is this like incredibly you know he's he's not american he's coded as foreign but he's coded as white you know what i mean so and i think yeah it doesn't work for you know like i said post 9-11 paranoia right like where it's just like it's like the the adjacency to this government corruption that's right like if you want to really you know tie in 9-11 uh to this like have the balls essentially to make it the fact that these cops you know zeroed in on you know a uh, you know, a Muslim criminal and make it thorny like that. Make it difficult. Make it, you know, complicated. Implicate these characters more than this movie ultimately yeah, does yeah, yeah. through its circumstances. Or the system. Which, like, implicate the, the system that they're great. working in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
But it also, uh, you know, because there's a, a time jump, and the time jump in the original is much larger than this, which is another reason why. Well, you you have the stars you're dealing with, yeah. um, but it, it also makes it work kind of less. I'd be maybe into this movie if it was more explicitly about implicating the type of mindset, you know, of... Uh, d- having a murkier moral compass to this movie because it does feel like it's chickening out at every opportunity. It could be very condemning towards the type of people who, you know, got on board with this kind of gross post 9-11 nationalism Mm -hmm. and what that did to their moral compass at the time and having an ability to be condemning, regretful about that in the movie. It never really fully draws that line to the allegory of it that, you know, yeah. would have made the movie work or be more interesting. Yeah, I think that's right. And it just ultimately feels like it's a much richer and more interesting story told in its original context. You know what I mean? Like, ult- yeah. like unavoidably. And yeah. you'd probably have just been better just, you know, buying, you know, buying the distribution rights to the original movie and just, like, trying to make some money off of that one. Because... I get, I understand why, you know, a, a writer director like Billy Ray and stars like Julia Roberts and Nicole Kidman or whatever would be, you know, attracted to a movie like this. But ultimately, it, it shortchanges itself more than anything else, which is, you know, which is. You too mentioned good. distribution because this movie was produced independently, even with big stars. And then it was the second movie uh, distributed by STX. Uh, oh, distributor that always kind of struggled to get into the race. Yes. Yeah. What was? What was? Now I want to look up the the big STX uh, movies. Hold on. I mean, they had Hustlers. Hustlers was basically that's what I was thinking of. Their closest bid into the race mm-hmm. um, should have been should have been a successful bid into the race. Um, yeah. uh, listen, every, everyone knows how uh, we feel about that. Yes. Um, yeah. We don't need to get into it again. Even though we could, um, uh, we'll be we'll be here for decades getting into it. Uh, <laughs> what has been their more? I'm they also tra- had Molly's Game. Well, Molly's Game is an actual Oscar nominee, right? Um, um what else? They had a they thinking. had a finger in the pot of uh, a man called Otto, although that was a Sony release uh, right. in the states. Yeah. They they have a since somewhat devolved or or dissolved i mean um and uh i think are trying to get back in the game but you know they mostly yeah are you know releasing movies through other major distributors so right we'll see how that goes um most recently the uh guy Ritchie movie operation fortune ruse de guerre was a uh movie that STX ultimately had distributed by Lionsgate. So, yes. Absolutely not is correct. (laughs) That is the correct answer. Um, My apologies to Aubrey Plaza. Absolutely not. Honestly, yes. Um, I want to get... Let's get through the plot description then because I want to talk about what happens in this movie as opposed to what happens in the original movie. Why I think this one doesn't work. Why... I want I want to pick out I want to pick out things about this that works because I will say this is a movie that is almost 2 hours long. It's an hour 51. And it's a movie where 
all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, are we into the end game of this movie? And I looked at the timestamp and there's only 20 minutes left, which is a good sign for a movie that right. I'm like, oh, this movie is moving faster than I thought it, you know, it would. So this is Definitely. a watchable movie. It's just not, it's one that you can like pick holes in as you're watching it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like, and it's not ultimately satisfying. I think the twist at the end is a lot. Um, I think the twist at the end does a lot to reveal where this movie's faults are and how it could have been a better movie. There's, I want to say a Simon Cowell phrase, or maybe it's Nigel Lithgow from So You Think You Can Dance. One <laughs> of the two of them would uh, criticize something as you over-egged the pudding, which, like, that sort of feels like what this, the ending to this movie is, where it's just like... The lead into the twist, this montage where... The usual suspect style. Back to random things. We've seen the usual suspects, Billy Ray. Like, you can't, you can't <laughs> do that again. Um, Except the ending is not as much of a gotcha as the ending to. But it the wants to be. It like, wants to be a gotcha. But it's just like it, I don't know. You 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 don't see. I didn't see exactly the twist coming, but you know a twist is coming because it's just like Julia Roberts is in this role and she's barely been in this movie. So right. what's going on? And she gets the and credit in this as the other. Um, and Julia Roberts, which I would love to know, God, things I wish I had more time to research. How many times Julia Roberts has been the and in a movie? Probably not very many. Maybe Mother's Day. <laughs> um, maybe Mother's Day is the only other reason. Okay, so we are going to talk about the 2015 movie Secret in Their Eyes, written and directed by Billy Ray, based on the 2009 uh, Oscar-winning Argentine film El Secreto de Sus Ojos. Uh, it stars Shuatel Ejiofor. Julia Roberts, Nicole Kidman, Alfred Molina, very briefly, Dean Norris. We got to talk about the Dean Norris of it all once we get past this, because quite possibly going to be our first character actor to get a six timers. Well, yes, I depending on how you talk about how you view Dermot Mulroney and the, the long, you know what I mean? He's sort of. Uh, Dermot Mulroney's been a leading man. Yes. That's, he's sort of a sea level leading man, but yeah, 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 you're right. Um, yeah, this is our fourth Dean Norris movie, and spoiler alert, sort of, uh, our fifth is coming soon. Um, uh, Michael Kelly... You mean our sixth is coming soon? No, fifth is coming soon. Six will be uh, our... Oh, right, right, yes. right, 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 um, right. Six, right, right. who knows where six will come from, but uh, he's on the precipice. Uh, Michael Kelly, star of House of Cards, is in this movie. Also, Joe Cole plays the twin roles of uh, the bad guy and then the last bad guy who they think is the bad guy uh this movie premiered november 20th 2015 no festival run-up for this movie this was one that i remember being like oh this is sort of a thing waiting down the road one of the last not the last movie that anybody had seen in 2015 but like by the time you get into late december or late late november rather and a movie hasn't sort of rolled out the red carpet it's, anywhere. This movie skipped even AFI, I believe. Yeah, it didn't do anything before uh, before it uh, released in late November, which sometimes means, sometimes projects strength and sometimes projects the opposite of strength. And uh, that's maybe this. Let me right. grab my phone and then I can time you for a 60-second plot. If you are prepared. Yeah. Even if you're not prepared, actually. This train's leaving and... Uh, How am I going to do the time jumps in this movie? I know, I know. All right, ready? So Chris, file the plot description for Secret in Their Eyes. Your time starts now. 
All right, so we are going back and forth from 2002 and 2015. Back in 2002, uh, Ray and his partner, Jess, they are counter-terrorist investigators in the FBI. They are investigating a murder uh, found in a dead body. It turns out to be Jess's daughter, who has been brutalized and left for dead in this dumpster. Um, Meanwhile, uh, Claire is coming in there, played by Nicole Kidman, who is like new to the division. And then by the time we get in 2015, she's rised up in the ranks to be in a powerful position, etc. Um, they, uh, Ray starts investigating. They think that this man uh, named Marzen is the killer for it, uh, and they investigate him, and uh, eventually he ends up attacking Claire in the investigation. Blah, 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 blah. Moving forward in time, Ray comes back and meets them uh, uh, back at the unit. He has since left, but is coming back. Jess looks like she's been wearing the weight of all of this all along. It turns out that uh, she has says that she has killed Marzin uh, secretly to the two of them, but they also see this other man uh, who looks exactly like him, only Marshall Mathersy. Um, and uh, turns out that Jess has not killed this man and buried him in her backyard. She's been holding him prisoner in a barn in the back of her house, and Ray discovers that and ends up actually burying the grave, and Jess kills him. A good 27 seconds over time, but you know what? I let you go with it, because... Uh, Doing the bare minimum of this plot, because, yeah. like, it takes a lot to explain this twist. Yes. It exp- does a lot to explain that this is not one man who looks two different ways. There's two men who look remarkably alike. Okay. we're gonna <laughs> By that, I mean they gave Joe Cole a fake nose and a generalized... Dutchish area Scandinavian uh-huh. accent, and then they fully make him look like Marshall Mathers as the other character. Well, a part of me was like, uh, I hope Aaron Taylor Johnson's agent got a talking to after this movie for uh, not getting him the obvious role of of this of this guy. This is a an Aaron Taylor Johnson uh, part. Uh, through and through as i'm watching this poor joe cole not getting the the uh roles and opportunities of aaron taylor johnson because joe cole i think is a, are you a, a joe really cole fan actor. are you a are you a fan i mean i wouldn't say a fan because there's not as many roles i remember him in green room i was just gonna a say a lot of people hate i didn't but I, like i didn't recognize it as i was watching the movie and then i looked him up after and he's yeah he's the fourth he's the one in green room in the band who mm-hmm. is not uh, Anton Yelchin or Callum Turner or obviously Alia Shawkat. So, yeah. I mean, Green Room, the time that it came out, like, imagine gr- if Green Room came out today, people would be like, this is too on the nose. But at the time, it felt like, you know, more of a warning bell. Um, I think some people think that that movie is uh, awful. I think I it's like a that movie a lot. The more, the more I watch thriller. it, I've seen it maybe three times now. And every time I've watched it, I've liked it better than uh, the previous time. I watch it with, you know, my ha- my hands up around my eyebrows and my shoulders sure. up to the, you know, stratosphere. But uh, It turns out I've seen Joel Cole in more things than I thought because I've also seen the Hang the DJ episode of Black Mirror that he was in with cool. um, Barbarian star Georgina Campbell, actually. So that's a... Every once in a while, you'll go back into an old Black Mirror episode and be like, oh, right, like, all of these people were in it. He's also a Skins guy, but after I... Had, uh, not after I've stopped watching Skins. I stalled on Skins in the second season because I was waiting to watch it with my sister because we were both super into Skins, and I was... American Skins or UK Skins? UK Skins. skins. Um, somebody, somebody was described to me as a Skins actor... 
recently, and I fully was thinking that it was UK, and they meant that it was US. I was like, who? What? Oh, that's interesting. Um, because you U.S. skins did not last. No, um, it was it was le- a season in that. garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but he was also in Peaky Blinders, a show that I have not watched. But um, after watching this movie, I'm like, yeah, I could see him in Peaky Blinders. Um, yeah. and Gangs of London, like, yeah, ditto. Yep. Okay. Uh, worse for me. Do Good you- actor, especially because he has to. This character is so stupid yeah. in this movie. <laughs> like, it could not be more. Um both characters that he's playing it feels like dress up villain oh very much so very much so and like there's a whole plot point about the size of this rapist's penis that like comes into the movie that just feels really ick i was surprised that this movie is pg-13 that's crazy to me hard pg-13 the movie opens like the montage of it is you know chiwetelegia 4 looking very pensively outside of car windows Mm -hmm. cut against this woman being brutal and it's and it's edited in a way where you don't see anything technically which i guess is like well you know you don't see anything so that's why it's not an r but it's like you you know what's going they still on probably would edit it for tv yes like, it's it's very unsettling upsetting. it's very disturbing i don't understand why you know I mean, whatever we can go into the soapbox thing about like the kinds of things that <laughs> get our uh, ratings and the kinds of things that don't but anyway uh, do you think it- there's usually a movie that's this um, pallid is not as upsetting as this movie can sometimes be very. Subtle. I also like the idea that like, well, we're going to try and get the PG-13 rating because the teens are going to really want to come to see this movie. <laughs> right. right. Uh, do you think at any point in this movie, Nicole Kidman sat down with Joe Cole and was just like, listen, I understand the nose thing. It's very difficult. <laughs> Um, this is just... I'm surprised you brought this up, sir. Well, listen, I at least... If we're going to give Nicole Kidman all the grief about By Your Nose, then I at least want her to be able to use that experience to, you know, connect with the younger generations. And, you know, I just I just imagine a nice conversation on set where she just sits him down and is just like, listen, when this movie is nominated for, you know, 10 Oscars or whatever, mm-hmm. they're going to really try and knock you down about the nose thing. And I want you to just know that this is you underneath that prosthetic this is you know you are not your prosthetic nose and your value is greater than the piece of putty that they have slapped on the end of your face in this movie and it's a real it's a real boiled potato at the end of his face in this movie chris it's uh <laughs> they just sort of smack it it's right kind of there. a boiled potato movie unfortunately i also love I the think. idea by the way that like ray that the shuacha legia 4 character who spent 13 years going through mug shots upon mug shots of anybody who's in the system uh to see if they found this guy settles on this uh beckwith person the uh, marshall mathers um and you know, comes to Nicole Kidman with it as proof, 2015 Nicole Kidman as proof. And she's like, well, his nose and eyes are different. And he's like, yeah, well, like, clearly he's like, you know, got out of, because this guy had done time for stealing cars or whatever. And that's why he was able to, he's like, well, yeah, well, he got out of, he got, uh, before he got popped, he, you know, clearly got his nose and, and eyes sort of cosmetically altered so that we wouldn't be able to recognize him from the, um, from the 2002 crime. And it's like, yeah, this guy with like no greater criminal affiliation. It's not like he's part of like some like, you know, Bulgarian crime syndicate or whatever. He's just like 
a guy who is, you know, bumping around or whatever, he's absolutely going to be able to afford to have major plastic surgery on his face to hide. Like, that's not how these things work. Like, that to me is a flawed premise from the very beginning. And it's whatever. They gloss over it because otherwise you wouldn't have a movie. And it's like, I get it. I understand how, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, junky plots work. But still, I was like, this guy's getting a, you know cosmetic surgery nose job eye job or whatever to evade capture like that is and a bunch of tattoos it's not like his father's like you know transylvanian royalty or anything like that like jesus Christ. well we should also mention because it, it it the convolutions of getting to the end of this movie i it's not in the plot description marzen is the key suspect in jess's daughter's rape and murder but they won't investigate right. him because he is an informant for uh, a terrorist. This a terrorist cell that's operating out of this mosque that was right yes. next to where the dumpster that they found uh, Carolyn, the daughter. Uh, in. Yes. Also, and this is how uh, like Michael Kelly is involved. And Alfred, Alfred Molina. Molina is involved yes. in this movie. Poor Alfred Molina in this movie, who is unfortunately not good, but is tasked with yeah. the like. The sole weight of how we're going to tie this allegory together uh-huh. in the scenes where he's barking at you with all of Four. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. The f- and then yeah. just disappearing, and you see him in the background on, like, a billboard running for mayor. Oh, I missed that. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, you're supposed to, I guess, draw the line of corrupt of American corruption yeah. there. And Also, while I'm logicking this case to death, the fact that, like, she's the daughter is found in the dumpster at like noon and she was last seen by Julia Roberts that morning, like the time window. And she was seen even later than that, or like, like even later than that on the phone, right. With Ray. Cause Ray was going to meet her at the bakery to plan mm-hmm. Julia's surprise party. So like the window for her getting like raped and murdered, abducted and brutalized uh, her like body bleached to avoid, you know, uh, Mm-hmm. whatever uh leaving incriminating evidence dumped in a dumpster discovered in a dumpster and then calling the police and the police coming down all happens within i swear to god like two and a half hours and that is an insanely compacted time frame like it's just like it i don't i don't understand right. how that all happens unless the actual commission of the crime was making so much noise that somebody had overheard but like that's not what they say in this it's just like she's like discovered Mm -hmm. in it i don't know i don't know um that to me also was like you saw her this morning she hadn't been like missing for like days or anything like that uh it was yeah yeah i don't know i think i think the plot of this movie could have taken a cup another couple revisions of somebody being like "Mm, is there any less incredulous way we could uh, do this but anyway. Also, they work in a counterterrorism unit. Yeah. I understand that this is a parking garage next to a mosque, but why would they be on site? At it's because they were surveilling this particular mosque. I think that was their operation. Was whatever was going that they had been like working on was all but, like they wouldn't be the ones going to the body. Sure, but I think that's like that's the thin peg that they sort of that the story that the movie no, right, sort of right, like right. La- like lands it on. But yes, um. All flimsy. All flimsy. Um, I will say, I think of all the people in this movie who I I think are doing a good job, I think Dean Norris is really, really good in this movie, in this role of, like, 
the whatever third banana. There's it's I'm trying to think of other examples. I was trying to think of this earlier. Other examples. Your name is Bumpy. His name is Bumpy. He's sort of he's the non-glamorous one on the team, but he's like he's obviously the one who like if anyone's going to break their leg going after this guy, it's going to be this guy, you know what I mean? And there's a whole chase through Dodger Stadium. Right. Which you can absolutely tell that they repurposed this movie from shooting in Boston to suddenly we're going to shoot in LA. <laughs> yes. Um that scene apparently was a scene at a soccer match in uh, the original that scene uh, one of the few ones this, that like actually does transfer over from that to this yes and they they basically wholeheartedly steal this long tracking shot from the original movie yeah. that starts with the stadium in the distance and then yes. the camera somehow zooms into the stadium and I will say you, know, you see that's an exciting going. sequence I thought of all the of all the things in this movie yeah. that I didn't like I thought that was a pretty exciting sequence if I didn't know that it was lifted wholeheartedly from the original movie I would be more thrilled by that shot speaking of scenes that are lifted wholeheartedly from other things there's a moment or in at some point in this movie, and I think it's in the early, the 2002 storyline, right? Where uh, Shuetel, uh, whatever, Ray, is trying to convince Kidman's character, whose name is Claire, uh, to that they need to push through this investigation, even though the powers that be are trying to stop them. And he's being very sort of like, you know, demonstrative about this. And at one point, she like goes to walk past him and he grabs her arm to like pull her back and he like rips open her blouse as he like like accidentally like rips open her blouse as he turns around and i'm like that's just that scene from friends that one time where phoebe's trying to seduce chandler and joey like and she says this is my bra yeah well and joey's like no you gotta you gotta show him your bra and she's like oh what and he like like floops open her uh, her blouse in one fell swoop and yes that's exactly what that moment reminded me of so stealing from all sorts of sources this movie um i don't think the actors are at fault here and they're it's not almost, at fault i mean no, no the, nobody's giving a bad performance no i don't think alfred molina is good in this movie unfortunately he's getting he's I given especially bad like he's he, material but yes, yes he's yes. he's certainly not um overcoming it i think yeah I, his scenes also feel like they exist in a vacuum from the rest of the movie yeah too. um what do you think I of... Mean, I think Julia Roberts is kind of especially good in a way. Maybe she doesn't pull the twist off, but, you know... I think she does okay. I think she does okay. Baggage she has. What do you yeah. feel... Okay, so I have particular sort of high-low feelings on a scene like the one in which she goes up and sees her daughter in the dumpster and she has the huge breakdown and she climbs into the dumpster and whatever, where I don't know if an actor can win in that scene. I think the best an actor can do is sort of break even because you are asking them to go so big and the movie has to match it. The the moment, the moment on paper, like calls for that, right? This is this woman's daughter. Mm-hmm. She's just finding out. This is this horrible moment. It's the worst moment of her life. Um, she, her reaction, it's hard to say that that reaction is too big for that circumstance. I think not in a world where Sean Penn's performance in Mystic River exists. Well, this is I, that, and I put that in the same bucket, right? Where it's just like uh, you look at that and you're just like, well, that reaction from a person makes sense to me. And yet, unavoidably, it also sort of takes me out of the scene and just like, oh, what did Julia Roberts have to do to work herself up into this state? Like, what, like, 
what did she go into this movie being like, I know I've got to nail this. This has got to be the biggest, you know, emotional whatever I've ever done. And it just feels like an actor is never going to, in a moment like that, impress me as much as they're just going to like get out of that moment with their dignity intact, if that makes sense. I mean, I think she does get out of that moment. I think she does too. I think. I think scenes like that are so, I mean, like, obviously actors have to go to extraordinary lengths and have to yes. really, you know, uh, kind of leap into that yeah. type of scene. But like I said, I think it's more the movie around them has to yeah. support that actor mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. by being good. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't know. Um, I, I think that kind of limitation that you're discussing is more on the movie's shoulders than the performer's shoulders. And I think the idea of this big emotional show Mm -hmm. from an actor being what sells a moment like that is wrong. Yeah. Um, On a filmmaking level, if, you know, if, uh, a creator is approaching it that way mm-hmm. like we're just gonna rely on and the we are in the this, dumpster with her that's the other thing it's like the camera is like right in there with her it's right mm-hmm. up close um i want to talk about billy ray maybe for a second this is maybe the time to talk about billy ray since we're talking about directorial choices um only has directed three movies three feature films uh shattered glass breach and then secret in their eyes he directed a few episodes of a failed Amazon pilot called The Last Tycoon, of which I watched the premiere episode of. Um, I guess that must have made it to to series at some point if he's credited with multiple episodes. But I don't remember that show doing much of anything, even though it is based on an F. Scott Fitzgerald uh, work, and it did star Matt Bomer and Kelsey Grammer, the, you know, obviously logical pairing of Matt Bomer and Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> uh, he also directed, though, The Comey Rule, the Showtime <laughs> miniseries, The mm-hmm. Comey Rule, that I would not touch with a 10-foot pole in the year 2020 as we were, like, approaching <laughs> the election, and I was just like, I do not need more Donald Trump in my life. Um, but I liked both... Wild that everyone else agreed with you. Yes. <laughs> I liked both Shattered Glass and Breach a lot, but he's also much better known... Not better known, but, like, he's he's even more so... His career is more prolific uh, as a writer. As a writer, yeah. He wrote um, that Jodie Foster movie, Flight Plan. He wrote the screenplay for the American version of State of Play. A lot of these are, like, written... Our our co-writing credits, which I imagine are he did a version of a screenplay and somebody else also did a version of a screenplay. Um, the, Bureaucracy thrillers. Yeah. Uh, State of Play is a good example where the screenplay credits are Matthew Michael Carnahan, Tony Gilroy, and Billy Ray. I don't imagine any of the three of them worked in tandem with any of the other ones on that. I think those are three <laughs> different passes at a script. Um, because he's sort of... That's a movie that we've done an episode on. Could not tell you a single thing that we... Sure. Uh, Captain Phillips, though, is a is a great example of a screenplay of mm-hmm. his. Uh, that's another one where uh, he's got a screenplay credit and... Um, oh, no, he has the sole screenplay credit. It's the only other credited writers. I hate when IMDb does that. They credit other writers, but it's the books that it was adapted from. Right. Um, what else? Richard Jewell, he was a writer on... Ugh. I know, that's right. Like, Richard Jewell, Terminator, Dark Fate, and Gemini Man is a not a great 2019 triple header for Billy Ray. Well, I just need to know, in Richard Jewell, 
the one good thing about the movie is was it Billy Ray's decision or was it Clint Eastwood's decision to incorporate the Macarena? <laughs> that is true. That's a good point. Um, but he's sort of a, he's he's a he's a guy who you sort of call upon in the business if you have a project that you want to sort of hand it to a trusted screenwriter. He's the guy who adapted the first Hunger Games movie, which was obviously a big uh, project and was based on a very popular book. Um, I do always go back to Shattered Glass, though, which I think is a tremendously movie. written movie and a very well directed movie. Actually, like I think that movie is so. Mm-hmm incredibly watchable i think he does every cast member is terrific i was gonna say like he does a really good job with that cast in terms of having everybody sort of working towards because the tone of that movie is actually we got to do chattered glass at some point soon i keep waiting for like i want to do it with a guest though because i feel like that would be a good movie to do with a guest um and i feel like i've talked about this movie with other people uh prospective guests so gotta get a guest that wants to um i think we do i think we have multiple ones i just have to remember which ones talk to me about it um (laughs) but that's a movie with a really particular tone and 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 he really nails it where it's this sort of uh, it a little bit takes on the the perspective of some it makes you want to fall for Stephen Glass's whole bit right it mm-hmm. makes you understand why people did while at the same time making you absolutely sympathize with Chuck Lane and his sort of outrage when he finds out that, you know, not only has this guy been making up all these articles, but like all these people are lining up behind him (laughs) to defend him because they just like him better. And Mm -hmm. um, people maybe sleep on just how good that movie is. And yeah, we got to talk about it soon. But anyway, so Billy Ray is generally somebody who, if I see his name attached to something, even if it's something that's, you know, oh, Gemini Man, you know what I mean? But it's just like, oh, Billy Ray. Well, because lately he's gotten attached to a lot of franchises. Not that he didn't do franchises, because he's also one of the people credited to The Hunger Games. I imagine the four or five people credited. He's also one of the people who keeps getting attached to that adaptation of Devil in the White City that Scorsese and DiCaprio want to produce that like just And then it was Todd Field and now that has fallen through. It keeps falling through. It's just like it's 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 a cursed project and who knows if it's ever going to exist as a movie, as a TV show, as a whatever. Um, he's also developing a miniseries that is currently listed on IMDb as Untitled Capital Assault Project. I love you, Billy, but I'm also going to probably take a pass on that one. That's going to be a hardcore pass. Yeah. Not watching that. Yeah. So, Sorry. Um, but generally, I respect this guy's talent, and I enter a movie like Secret in Their Eyes in general sort of hopeful that he's able to knock this one out, too. Because, like, this feels... Right talk about breach a little bit because i think breach is a even better comparison for this movie than shattered glass in terms of like i think the best version of this movie comes out closer to what breach did right that's probably true i haven't seen breach in a while it's a showcase for chris cooper mostly that's how i remember Mm -hmm. it um opposite ryan Phillippe. yes yep fantastic um Let's get Ryan Phillippe in something. I feel um, like Chris Cooper got a little bit of awards attention for a breach, or a little bit of buzz, right? Yes, but again, that was another movie that was a spring thing, though. Like towards the end of the year, he was still in conversation, especially after already being an Oscar winner at that point. Um, yeah, but it just did not happen. Breach is one of those movies where it's like, who was the female lead in Breach? Because 
Laura Linney. Oh, fuck yeah. Right? Yeah, you're right. No, thank you for remembering. I was like, it was a Joan Allen. We had just talked about Joan Allen, but no. Laura Linney. Yeah. We haven't, have we done a movie, a Laura Linney movie? And hold, please. I feel like we maybe haven't done, we haven't had this conversation in some time. And I really would like to have a Laura Linney conversation. We've only done three Laura Linney movies. Uh, The latest was The House of Mirth. We've done Hyde Park on Hudson, uh, Handjobs on Ah, Hudson. Um, the Fifth Estate, and The House of Mirth. So we are probably due for another uh, Linny extravaganza. Especially because she's going to win an Oscar this year for her collaboration with Ina Gardner. <laughs> um, <laughs> though Sony Classics did pick up this movie that they are saying is a comedy. Now, it feels like the type of thing that Sony Classics would be like, this is us going to bring... Laura Linney back to the Oscars, but it could also just be a light comedy. Wait, I'm looking this up because um, I want to get the title of see. it. This is... It's her, Maggie Smith, and someone else. Um, Is this... Hold on. She's got a few movies. Now that she's sort of past the uh, Ozark portion of her career, which, God bless, I believe when people say that she was tremendous in that, because like, obviously she would be, um, I just didn't watch it. Would watch that show. And I would just like stop in the room whenever I could tell she was delivering some type of monologue. And then I would leave again. Uh, yes. You're talking about the miracle club, which stars. Great. Perfect. Maggie Smith, Laura Linney, Kathy Bates, Stephen Ray, Kathy Bates, Stephen Ray in a rare non Neil Jordan, uh, (laughs) project. Um, the logline for it... Oh, Plot Unknown. Well. It's fancy that. Mystery box Is comedy. expected in 2023. I imagine this is going to be a TIFF title? Fingers crossed? If it's... Fingers if crossed. It's I would love to breathe fall. the same oxygen as Laura Lynn. Oh, my God. Tell me about it. Okay. Oh, wait. No, there is a storyline that's just provided by somebody else. Let's see. All right. This is a paragraph, so hold on a second. <clears throat> this starts fantastic. Ballyformat, Ireland, 1960. Sold. I'm in. That's right. This is an Irish thing. Yep. A hard knocks community in outer Dublin marches to its own beat, rooted in traditions of loyalty, faith, and togetherness. There's just one tantalizing dream for the women of Ballyformat to taste freedom and escape the gauntlet of domestic life, to win a pilgrimage to the sacred French town of Lourdes. Now I'm remembering this plot. Yes. And with a little benevolent interference from their cheeky and rebellious priest, close friends Lily, Eileen, Dolly, and Sheila are the lucky few to win this ticket of a lifetime at their riotous local raffle night. This is Catholic 80 for Brady, is what this is. This is 80 for Brady, but with the Virgin Mary and Lords. Like, that is what's going on in this The shot in the fountain when Hugh Jackman is just, like, launched into the stars. That's everything that's happening in my brain right now. Oh my god. I'm, I'm gonna lose my mind for this So, movie. so excited for this movie. Catholic 80 for Brady, except, you know, not centered around supporting a Trump voter. That, no, that's what I mean. Well, yes, exactly. No, uh, Our Lady of Lords is um, uh, famously liberal. Um, so, <laughs> yes, I'm excited. Uh, this is a very... Um, Joe and I, our tastes combining, converging, and becoming one. Because for me, it's like actresses 
doing stuff in European countries. And for Joe, Catholicism. I also like actresses doing stuff in things. You don't get to take actresses. You don't get to claim that one of the two of us, you lunatic. Jesus Christ. Yeah, but it's in my actual, like, bloodstream. Okay, all right, all right. We're not going to play the who's gayer than who in this podcast game, all right? We're... I'm not saying, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm yeah, just yeah, saying, yeah. you know. All right, all right. Anyway. Anyway. Keep it moving. The secret in their eyes. Um, yes. Or secret Secret in their, in their eyes. eyes. Get that definite article the mm. fuck out of here. That has no place in America. Uh, our movie is cool. <laughs> we don't have it though. Yes, exactly. Um, gritty reboot, secret in there. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, I just want to pose the question. Yes. Let's pose the question. What is this elusive secret? What is this eponymous titular? Who's the they? Secret? Who's the they? Whose eyes are giving away the secret? Tammy Faye. <laughs> Um, this is Alyssa's secret, and Alyssa's secret is in her <laughs> Alyssa's eyes. secret in their eyes. <laughs> that would actually be a rusical next year, is Alyssa's secret in their eyes. <laughs> oh, but it's the same plot as the secret in their eyes, right. but it's rusical. Yeah. Um, right. Wait, all right, now is the time to talk about Julia Roberts and her bangs in this movie, because... Okay. Obviously, her character is going through it, and I love that the like stylistic choice made for this movie is she is told at one point you look like you're a million years old. Yes, but that's and it's like damn. It is at the end of the movie after she has confessed to killing this guy, and it's just like he's not entirely wrong. But like the choice that they have made for this movie to communicate the fact that this woman is going through it is bangs, which I don't disagree with because bangs on Julia Roberts just do seem odd, right? Like, they they seem out of place. I feel like I'm destabilized. I'm watching this. They're also, like... They seem like a conscious choice, a character... And they're not, like... ...choice whenever her bangs appear in a film. They're not, like, demure bangs, either, in this movie. They are, like, very voluminous and, like, just, like, it just... They could cut glass. Uh, yes. And, well, the bangs that could really cut glass are her bangs. The Mother's Day bangs. In Mother's Day, which genuinely, mm-hmm. like, she goes to the salon once a month and has a laser just sort of, like, zoop <laughs> over the front of her face. And, like, Austin Powers. And style. that's how she gets her hair cut in that movie because there is. A laser bowl cut. There is, yes. One of her, it just goes all the way around and that's her hair in Mother's Day. It's, um, that is a movie I saw in the movie theater and I don't regret it. Um, the, I haven't seen it. Also a movie with a good blooper reel at the end because there's a moment in the movie where, who is it? Now I gotta look up the goddamn cast for Mother's Day. Um, Cause somebody is her secret daughter in that movie and I for the life of me can't remember now who it was. Me. <laughs> um, is it Jennifer Aniston? That can't be true. No. Um, what? No, it's not. I was, try- I was trying to remember whether it was like a, a different timelines, but no, that's not Mother's Day. Um, is Mother's Day just like every plot of second act, but not as good? No, I was thinking of something else. No, Mother's Day is very much in the Valentine's Day vein of just like eight billion characters and, um, <sighs> Mother's Day twenty. Was it you that hasn't seen second act? No, I just didn't see it for a while. I eventually did see Second Act. Um, second Act, perfect plane movie. Oh, right. It's Britt Robertson um, is that. Sure. Um, 
yeah, everything takes place in the same timeline in this movie. I don't know why I was thinking that it was hopping timelines. Um, but there's a moment there where Julia Roberts and Britt Robertson are having their sort of confrontation. And Julia takes the longest pause in the history of anything. And there's a moment in the blooper reel where she's taking this pause and the train <laughs> goes by and they have to like stop because like she's like in the middle of this like contemplative thing and just like the train whistle comes <laughs> through. <laughs> and it's just like that probably should have made the movie because it's uh it's exactly that's exactly the vibe of just like why is she taking so long to make this pause? Um yeah, her hair in I that movie is just the bangs that designate that this character is going through it. This is also one of those movies that it's like, woman is going through it. What do we do? We put her in a giant cardigan. Yeah, yes. To signify that. is true. And, like, there's at least one scene where she's in some giant gray cardigan that looks like it was collected, you know, dust bunnies from underneath a sofa Mm -hmm. and then thrown on someone and magically they're a cardigan Mm now. Mm -hmm. Um... Made but a like wish on the blue fairy or whatever. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a proverbial cardigan that follows her around. <laughs> An emotional in cardigan. The second half of this movie. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a um, yeah, an existential cardigan that that exists in this movie. Yeah, I mean, and the movie kind of like sort of sets her aside for a while and sort of is just like, you go be grieving and we're going to go solve this case or whatever. Right. Um, and it keeps bringing up. It foreshadows itself a lot where it's just like you can't be involved in this case or else it will totally you know nothing will be admissible because you will be you'll have a conflict of interest and all this sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and ultimately of course by the end she is going to be the only person who is going to uh, carry out justice uh in this movie but um but her carrying out of justice is not really justice right this is another thing too because like it's supposed to be you know, critique of post 9-11, you know, corruption, government, whatever. Mm-hmm. She keeps this guy in a prison cell in her barn, but we don't really know. Like, he looks like shit, but, like, we're only seeing him. We're only seeing their interaction of her bringing him food. So it's like she's feeding this guy. Right. But there's no question of torture happening. And if you want to talk about 9-11 and you don't talk about torture. Right. Like, what are you critiquing? Right. Um, right. Well, he mentions when, when he walks in, the thing that he says to uh, Ray, when Ray sort of finds him in there, and he's sort of like, it takes him a second to be able to form words because he's been in there so long. But he's like, will you ask her to speak to me? And so clearly, mm-hmm. like, one of the sort of, like, psychological tortures of the fact that just like, yeah, she may feed him, but like... He might not know who she is or she doesn't why know, he's there. Or just like the fact that, like, you are... It's been 13 years and nobody has spoken to you. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like it's... there's right. There is a... Uh, torturous aspect to that. There is no in-story explanation for why she has this barn, right? No. It's like, they never talk about her, like... This... Because it's quiet out there, she says. It's quiet out yeah, there. Yeah, but, like, it's not like she has, like, 
hogs or chickens, you know what I mean? Right. Or like anything to like keep a cover story as to why she would have this giant barn in her yard and like nobody questions it and you know, whatever she keeps to herself. Also earlier in the movie, we're told to believe that it's unlikely that he did all of this physical stuff to her daughter at least alone, which made me think, I was like, is this a group conspiracy type of thing? I did Should kind I of expect Dean Norris? my true detective brain there was just like, oh, God, exactly. like something. There's some sort of cult. Uh, but then here. it's like, but then how is it possible that Julia Roberts is doing this then? If it's not as possible for him to have, you know, physically done all this with this body, how is she getting him? Uh-huh. Without anyone seeing, I, alone. I did kind of expect for them to have the second layer of the shock be that Kidman had been helping her uh, the whole right. time. But they'd never pull the trigger on that. Um, Nicole Kidman in this movie. Yeah, let's talk about Nicole. This is not... This is not the strongest Nicole Kidman era. No. Well, she gets... For a, people talking about eras. Well, she gets an Oscar nomination the same year, though, for Lion. In which I think she is quite good. The next year is Lion. Oh, you're Lion right. Kind of you're right. I always want to place it in 2015, but it's not. You're right. It's not till the next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could loop the Paperboy in this, but 2010 after Rabbit Hole on to until Lion. Read them out. It's what a List lot them. of her failures are there. I think she's amazing in Stoker. I like Stoker. Um, yeah, I think she's very good in Stoker. She's very over the top in Stoker. There's things like Grace of Monaco, right? Before I go to sleep, she's the villain in Paddington. But like, she's good in Paddington. For as much as I think people go overboard with how much they love Paddington, um, I think she's. But good like in the Paddington. real Paddington love didn't happen until the second movie. But you're right. Like, it, there's a lot of like movies that she makes that don't ever become of anything, like Queen of the Desert. Mm-hmm. Um, the Werner Herzog movie that is a, is that the one about Jesus? No, the one about Jesus has Ewan McGregor. Yes. Okay. As Jesus and Satan. This is the one with, uh, Robert Pattinson plays T.E. Lawrence. That's, that's the one I'm thinking of. Um, Queen of the Desert would be an interesting title for a movie about Jesus. I'm now that I'm, uh, <laughs> I just saw it's, whatever, whatever. Uh, we're going past it. Um, Queen of the Desert, the Jesus Rusical. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rue, we've got your next two Rusicals all planned out. You don't have to think about anything until season uh, uh, eight. Secret in their eyes and Jesus. Um, yeah, what was Strangerland? That's another one where her. I believe and... that's an Australian production. Oh, and... Nobody's ever going to know about it. It's also interesting that this whole portion of her career is before... I mean, ahead of Big Little Lies, there is also, you know, working with Yorgos Lanthimos. There's working with Sofia Coppola. Um, You know, she gets back into focusing on directors, which she has always kind of done in her career. Right. But she ends up doing Big Little Lies and then becomes, you know, a prestige TV performer in addition to being now she's getting back into movies i'm hoping well thank god and uh the same is true about her two co-stars in this movie julia roberts is done gaslit which no one really watched um and shilta legiofor has done multiple tv things at this point but julia had just done before this movie came out uh before secret in their eyes came out 
had just done the normal heart on HBO for yes. uh for Ryan Murphy. She had taken the role that Ellen Barkin had won a Tony for just recently, um, for the normal heart. And so Julia sort of takes this role. And like Ellen Barkin, and I love that she won that Tony, but like Ellen Barkin is big and loud in that stage production that I saw of the normal heart. And mm-hmm. um and so I was like, what's and like Julia doesn't really I don't think, you know, she can't match that and she shouldn't try to match that on TV. I think she's good. I think a lot of people thought she's good in that. I think a lot of people, because of the Barkin Tony Award, thought that Julia was going to sort of march to an Emmy Award for that movie. I think sometimes people when people assume that like, oh, well, it's Julia Roberts, she's obviously going to win. She's obviously going to remember when she was on Broadway and people were like, well, they're going to give her a Tony because she's Julia Roberts. And it's like, and she got bad reviews. And she got bad reviews. Right. Uh, she didn't get bad reviews in the normal heart, but she did lose the Emmy to Kathy Bates for American Horror Story Coven. So that was Murphy on Murphy violence there. <laughs> um, that I'm glad Kathy Bates won for that for something for uh, American Horror Story because she's been so good across so many of those. But uh, it's funny that that was the particular role that she won for. She was told Edgy of Four after this. Yes. He's already an Oscar nominee for this movie from 12 Years a Slave. But on top of doing, was it Apple that did that TV show that I think you watched and kind of liked? And I was like, I'm interested what in show? this. And then no one cared. But he also did the TV movie that was, who directed this with Anne Hathaway? That was like the pandemic thief oh, TV movie. Yeah. That is just like, everyone's like, please scrub this Locked off of down. the earth. Probably yes. no fault of the actor. Wait, what's the thing that you said that I watched and liked? And, and... Um, let me look. Is it The Man Who Fell to Earth? Oh, I never watched that. Who was I talking I to that know. watched that then? It wasn't me. Um, but he's also become somewhat of a franchise guy. This is and after this, he joins the MCU. Well, he, he was one of the like Star. twenty people who was in The Martian, also in twenty fifteen. Right. He was in that good Craig Zobel movie that nobody saw called Z for Zachariah. That was him. Z for Zachariah is a good movie. Uh, it was. Margot Robbie's really Margot good. Robbie's really good in that. He's really good. Chris Pine's really good. Like that's it's sort of a three hander movie, and mm-hmm. um, I really liked that one. Yeah, he joins the MCU. He's such a great actor, but we got to get him in great stuff again. Speaking of Jesus shit, he was in the uh, just absolutely unseen. Garth Davis movie Mary Magdalene, where we should talk about that Rooney. We should because, like, I was, I was kind of eagerly anticipating that one. I was like, oh, this is going to be big for Rooney Mara. Every time I anticipate a biblical movie, I, I, I wind up with egg on my face. Like it truly. <laughs> and there's another one coming up where, like, I think the next Malik movie is about Jesus. Whenever that uh, comes out, yes, it's supposed to be about uh, Jesus, um, son of Saul, Gejeroig. Yes. Um, but like, and I'm gonna probably uh, is apparently, Jesus. and I'm gonna probably you know put Oscar hopes on that one too, and I'm gonna end up probably being wrong about that one. But like that Mary Magdalene movie was like delayed for at least a year, maybe two years. It was a Weinstein Co. movie. Mm, um, there we go, and it ended up right when everything came out about a Harvey Weinstein. Um, yeah. So it got kind of shoved around until IFC half released it. Um, but so the cast though was Rooney Mara as Mary Magdalene. A casting that seemed so wrong that I wanted to see it because I was like, I want to see how this turns out. Joaquin Phoenix is Jesus. Joaquin Phoenix is Jesus. It's, is this how they Garth got Davis's together? follow up. Um, but I mean, like that movie does still have a huge cultural imprint. That picture of Rooney Mara smoking mm-hmm. at the foot of a crucified, yep. bloody Jesus. Yep. yep. 
Yeah, I wouldn't trade um, that for the world. But Shuatel Sh- no, absolutely plays not. Jesus or plays Peter uh, in that movie, uh, and Tahar Rahim as Judas. Actually, that is uh, quite a cast, quite and a apparently cast. it is a movie that is deeply fine. We got to do it at some point. Um, we got to talk about it. Greg Fraser cinematography, like uh, you come know, come on now, come on. Um, what else was Shuatel doing around that sort of late teens? sort of uh era triple nine which was that movie was that the one with kate winslet yes yeah as the russian mob maybe right never saw it but like maybe bulgarian something Uh, worth worth checking out i I am out on hillcoat until i am told i absolutely have to see a john hillcoat movie again i did end up Um, because it was a netflix movie and i was uh at a job where i was watching a lot of direct to netflix stuff the joshua marston movie come sunday and i love joshua marston he was the guy who directed mm -hmm. Uh, Maria Full of Grace, and also uh, followed that up with uh, Forgiveness of Blood, which nobody really talked about, but I thought was a tremendous Criterion collection. It's so good. Like, it really is incredibly good. Um, So I was very, very much like a Joshua Marston guy, and Come Sunday is this movie where Shuelle Ejiofor plays a a preacher who is sort of uh, ostracized by his church. It's okay. I wanted but it to Netflix be really good. But Netflix never put it in theaters, right? No, they did not. Um, so it is more TV movie. Yes. Um it was it was okay. Um Yeah, I don't know. Like he Great was, actor. He was in The Old Guard speaking of stuff that was direct to Netflix, the Gina Prince Bythewood movie. Um in a way that like his role was the one that sort of like pointed the way towards there could be other old guard movies and he is uh scheduled to be in the old guard too whenever they end up making that so that seems good at least that like that's like you know sequely stuff that seems a little more i don't know i know it's based on a comic book or whatever but it feels like a little less beholden to some sort of like giant uh you know overarching project you know what i mean right um Okay, so you bring up comic books. Comic books also play a part in this oh, movie yeah. in a weird way that didn't. It's supposed to. It's supposed to be indicated as like a clue to non Marshall Mathers Jokel, um, and it leads them to the Dodger Stadium based off of like the colors of. The oh team. right, that's right. That's the one where Dean Norris is like, "I figured it out. This guy's obsessed with baseball by reading the comic." <laughs> um, that's right, because the bad guy had the San Francisco Giants uh, colors of orange and black. Yes, um, okay. uh, yes, classic villain colors, orange and black. Uh, tell your husband, uh, Cincinnati Bengals are now the villains of the AFC. Um, <laughs> Did you see the pod generation though? Before we get off of Shuatel for a second, no. Um, everyone said it was horrible. Oh, did they really? I was trying to. I didn't. I didn't yes. talk to anybody who had seen that at Sundance. They said it was horrible. I was interested the to see. The people that I talked to really hated it. Now I want to see it even more. Um, but I missed it in the fucking five movies that I got to see at Sundance this year. I'm still mad about it. Um, okay, so I want to dip back into the 2009 foreign language film race, because I do think it's interesting. This is the one where Mm -hmm. the secret in their eyes wins. And I don't know if anybody, if nobody saw it coming, but like 
the conversation was not on the secret in their eyes during this Oscar campaign. This felt like it was a two movie race by the time the Oscar nominations came out. I think most people were looking at the white ribbon, which had played can had won can. It got the palm. Got the yes. palm at can. Uh, the jury president that year was Isabelle Pair. There we go. Well, the fix was in. Um, and talk to James Gray about that. James Gray apparently has talked shit about Isabelle Pair as a jury president. Oh, really? In what way that she was like yeah. a pain in the ass? I think he called her like a dictator or I something. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people. This is the era of also, you know. Uh, Isabella Pair, they were like, of course she's going to give it to Michael Hanukkah. Uh-huh. And you have Sofia Coppola winning the Golden Lion. In the next when year. Tarantino yeah. was the president. Yeah. Um, the era of heavy handed can jury presidents where uh, narratives were crafted off of who gave it to who. Yeah. The Somewhere one, I have no objection I, to that yeah, whatsoever. Same. And I understand the White Ribbon one. The White Ribbon one was, like, embraced over the globe. Like, at the time, people were saying that it was Hanukkah's best movie. I really don't agree with that as someone who loves uh, Hanukkah's work. I even um, haven't even seen most of Hanukkah's work. But, like, as somebody who has seen Cachet, like, that seems crazy to me that people would Yeah, Cachet is his best movie. It's... Um, it's phenomenal and then if i also feel like if people knew that amour was coming a few years down the road that like you know i uh, you couldn't right. have told isabel who right. to do anything she didn't want to do but like i think most people would have been like well, we'll wait to give i mean i think white ribbon probably set the stage for something like amour mm-hmm. which is closer yeah. to his sensibility not that the white ribbon is some about face to the type of you know style and approach that he has with material but it was seen at the time as you know, this is still the guy who is known for the piano teacher in funny games. Right. And they, this was seen as a way of this, you know, really respected, lauded uh, filmmaker making something that would be to the Academy's taste. Yeah. And it ultimately was. It also gets a cinematography nomination. I was going to say, it got a cinematography nomination, which is why most people thought it was going to win foreign mm-hmm. language film, even though A Prophet was also there. And A Prophet was... A hugely acclaimed movie, Jacques Odiard's uh, film. Yeah. That was the French submission. So I want to sort of... I, I, I would vote for a prophet. I jotted this down because I wanted to sort of like f- remind myself of how this uh, foreign language film race sort of evolved ac- over the course of award season. Because you go to the Critics Awards, and I had totally forgotten this, but that uh, Olivier Assayas's, uh Summer Hours had won both New York Film Critics and Los Angeles Film Critics uh, Best Foreign Language Film. Um, And like the White Ribbon was the runner up at LA, but like the runners up in New York were Broken Embraces, the Almodovar movie Broken Embraces, which true to form, Spain did not (laughs) submit as their uh, movie for uh, the Oscar. And there was a movie called Everlasting Moments from Sweden that I never saw. Um, mm-hmm. National Board of Review had The White Ribbon as one of their five uh, recognized movies. The other ones were movies that I don't remember hearing of. The Maid, or I don't, not necessarily that I don't remember hearing of, but I didn't see any of these ones. The Maid, Revanche, The Song of the Sparrows, and Three Monkeys. The Golden Globes gave theirs to The White Ribbon. Their nominees were, um, 
Baria, this movie from Italy, Broken Embraces, the Almodovar movie, The Maid, which was a Chilean movie, and then A Prophet. Uh, so again, The White Ribbon and A Prophet, as the season went on, those two movies became like mm-hmm. um, the the movies to sort of focus on. BAFTA. Both distributed by Sony Classics. Right. BAFTA gave their best film, not in the English language, to A Prophet. White Ribbon was a nominee. Uh, their other nominee nominees were Broken Embraces, Coco Before Chanel, and Let the Right One In, actually, uh, was nominated. So nice uh, genre showing there for BAFTA. So Secret in the Rise did not uh, did not show up anywhere until really the Oscars, the Oscar mm-hmm. list. And I just don't think most people were looking at it. I also brought up, though, uh, the the list of all of the movies that were submitted by their countries. And like... Mm-hmm. Beyond the white, like the white ribbon and a prophet were the big ones. Like uh, shortlist ones were a movie from Australia called Samson and Samson and Delilah, a movie mm-hmm, from Bul- which got a lot of attention. A movie from Bulgaria called The World Is Big and Salvation Lurks Around the Corner, uh, and also The World Is Fake. And uh, wait, now I can't even. Re- I, can't- <laughs> I think I believe it. Yes. Uh, what was the who told him the world was fake? I, now I can't. An ostrich. An ostrich. God, see how quickly. These things fall out of my head. Um, a movie from Kazakhstan called Kaleen and a movie from the Netherlands called Winter in Wartime. So that was the nine film um, shortlist. But like more interesting movies could have showed up. Like uh, the Bong Joon-ho movie Mother was South Korea's submission for the Oscar that year. That did not make the shortlist. Um, even I know he's, uh, you know... A little bit of a maybe persona non grata, but like Xavier Dolan's I Killed My Mother was Canada's submission that year. Mm-hmm. And he was. Asghar Farhadi was the Iranian submission for About Ellie, which never got US distribution until years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think beyond the, you know, the White Ribbon and A Prophet, and obviously A Prophet gets the French submission ahead of Summer Hours. So Asayas doesn't even get to. Um, compete really which is too bad i think summer hours is a very good movie i don't i'm not surprised Master. that a prophet got the submission yeah. i think that's a much more oscary movie i think it's a very Two good great movie. movies yeah exactly you're not really gonna go a prophet's pretty violent oh it's very I think violent it maybe had no chance because of that i can't imagine but... that secret in their eyes wasn't violent i didn't see the the original version but like sure sure but it is much more of a like traditional th- you can also see how it's a movie that got an american remake too oh um, very much because so. yes. of the type of thriller that it is i think it's what very funny movie... when you see a foreign language film movie that even like that has a plot where it's like oh well this seems like it's a you know that the the plottier a foreign language film movie is the more likely it's going to be to get an american remake where it's just like oh can we like you know is there is there a murder in this is there an investigation in this is there something that like this is partly why i was going to bring up the lives of others because mm. the lives of others which was against uh pan's labyrinth uh famously, famously from our <laughs> intro um <laughs> the um that movie, when you watch, I don't like that movie. I know that people love that movie. Lives of Others, um, I've still never seen it. I don't care for it. Um, but it's opposite Pan's Labyrinth, which is another movie that is clearly embraced by the Academy. It won multiple Oscars. But there is something about the sensibility of that movie that you can see 
how it happened that that movie beat Pan's Labyrinth, mm-hmm. much like you can see how the sensibility of the secret of, in their eyes beat the white ribbon or a prophet. Right. Right. Yeah. I could like, yes, I think that's true. I still think it's a little bit of a surprise. I, w- I wonder how much of it came from the fact that a white ribbon and a prophet splitting votes. And so it made the threshold a little bit lower for something like a uh, secret in their eyes to right. emerge. I also want to say one more thing about uh, people who were uh, submitted by their country, but didn't make the shortlist. Uh, the Ruben Ostland movie, uh, involuntary was also on that. So there was a time when yeah. Ruben Ostland did not get the uh, quick hall pass into uh, the, the main stage for, for the Oscars. But anyway, um, I do also think, if I'm remembering correctly, it's possible that Secret in Their Eyes was distributed also by Sony Classics, so they clearly had a lot going on in that race. Let's see. Um, I don't see it there on their page, but like that could be... I wonder who did distribute it, though. I don't know. I also want to talk about just the other nominees that year that uh, were the Israeli movie Ajami which was directed by Skandar Kapti and Yaron Shani, and then uh, the Peruvian movie The Milk of Sorrow from Claudio Losa. And the only movies in this list that I did see were A Prophet and The White Ribbon, again, because they were, you know, such big deals. They were, you know, easily, more easily accessed. Sony Classics did distribute uh, the original Secret in Their Eyes. There we go. Um, And I think the next year... Uh, we've talked about the 2010 foreign language race where like, you know, uh, beautiful is nominated, uh, on, uh, in Yari two is beautiful. And then Yorgos Lanthimos's dog tooth is nominated. Denny Villeneuve's Ascendies. So like, that is a very starry, you know, lineup of movies in terms of like directors who would cross over with, you know, great success. Obviously in Yari two had already crossed over, uh, by that point, but, uh, that is one by, Susanna Beers in a better world. So that's another example, I think, of a more accessible movie beating maybe less accessible movies. That's also th- that lineup that you just mentioned is the kind of one that people indicate to back when there was an executive committee committee for the category that would get yes. at least one movie um, Dog through tooth. to the nominations yeah. because it's like you really th- uh, wow the academy at large didn't respond to Dog Tooth yeah. Yeah, yeah, what yeah, yeah. no. Um, I've still never seen On Sundays, by the way, and I really, really want to. I haven't either. I've heard what the twist is. And oh, I, I think haven't. I'm good. Oh, I want to see think it. I'm, good. I'm excited to see it. Um, but I think then you look at the next year, right? Where, um, like, obviously there was like you know movies like Agnieszka Holland's In Darkness nominated and uh, the uh, Belgian movie Bullhead. But the fact that Oscar Farhadi's A Separation wins in 2011 felt like a little bit movie. of a turning of the tide of that trend of the. It's not like a separation is so incredibly uh, spiky or difficult, but like that was ob- that was the big critical favorite of the foreign language films that year, and the fact that it did win. Um, and again, so then the next year is a more, and then uh, well, the Great Beauty wins in 2013, and like I don't like Paolo Sorrentino's whole thing. I don't like the Great Beauty, but like <laughs> people did. Like I, I, I. You know, it's not like everybody hated <laughs> The Great Beauty like I did. Um, so that was a – I don't think there's anything sort of fishy about that win. And then, like, Ida wins in 2014. 
Son of Saul in 2015, which is a movie I know not everybody likes, but I really liked, so like I didn't really have a problem with that. Um, Farhadi wins again in 2016 with The Salesman, Fantastic Woman in 2017, Roma in 2018, Parasite in 2019, Another Round in 2020, Drive My Car uh, in 2021, and All Quiet on the Western Front in 2022. So I think you can... All Quiet on the Western Front being a fairly obvious booger. And yes, those but you look at that. Them. But you look at that trend, and again, as as we were talking about at the beginning of this episode, uh, the the winners show up a lot more prominently in the greater Oscar uh, categories mm-hmm. and conversation, and just in general, the winners on balance. And again, obviously, the most recent example is going to leave a bad taste in our mouth. But the winners on balance, I think, are better. You know, not to like, you know, put my taste on everybody else's, but also like are more sort of supported by the critical consensus than they mm-hmm. maybe were a decade prior. And I think right. that is ultimately a good direction that this category is moving in. Also, a lot more movies that have an actual footprint, print, not just in, you know, Academy Awards conversations, but just in general movie going conversations. Uh-huh. A lot. I mean, it, uh, a secret in their eyes is an example, even if it's a good movie. But a lot of these, especially, you know, you mentioned Departures, which I think is the movie that people dog on a lot as, yes. you know, there's bad winners in this category. Yeah. But, like, Departures didn't have any footprint until it won an Oscar. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Well, I think you also just look at the filmmakers that have won in the last 10 years, and it's Michael mm-hmm. Haneke and Oscar Farhadi and Sebastian Lelio and Alfonso Cuaron and Bong Joon-ho and Thomas Vinterberg and, and Raisuke Hamaguchi. And there's, I think, the, the sort of level of top-tier auteurs is higher, and the percentage, you know, the batting mm-hmm. average for that is higher than it was, again, a decade ago. And... I think ultimately that's a good thing. So even beyond that, I think you have people who get nominated that catapult from that, like a Yorgos Lanthimos. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think in general, good things, good things happening for that category. I think, uh, uh, you know, secret in their eyes, the original secret in their eyes was an interesting, sort of uh, note on the road to getting into there well i mean good movie not worth you know lumping with something like departures but certainly of an era for that category i think that's right i think that's right that is no longer at the forefront exactly i think that's right um what else do i want to talk about when we talk about secret in their eyes i'm going to go through my notes for a second if you uh, have anything else you want to talk about uh, I mean, not really. I think on top of the complaints we've had about this movie, there is a very like TNT vibe around this. Uh huh. I mean, uh huh. TNT may know drama, but uh, <laughs> it, it, this, it, I don't know. For the star wattage that this movie has, and for yes. you know yeah. the noteworthy director that it has, you would think that it's a movie that is better, looks better. Yes, and. It's just not very good. It was nominated for two NAACP Image Awards, which I do think is interesting. Uh, Ejiofor was nominated for Outstanding Actor in a Motion Picture. He loses to 
uh, Michael B. Jordan for Creed, which I'm glad somebody was giving Michael B. Jordan for Creed uh, recognition because he should have been Oscar nominated that year. Um, he was very good. Other nominees Did in that category. Did you see Creed 3? Not yet. I have, like, all of the big movies from the last month I haven't seen yet. And one of these days I'm just going to, like, go to the theater and stay there all day and watch, like, <laughs> Just stay all day. Uh, um, get some pretzel bites. Um, see, yeah. I thought Creed 2 was kind of bad and repetitive enough that my thought was oh okay so these movies are literally going to have the same quality trajectory as the Uh Rocky movies sure yeah I think everybody Um, assumed that so I guess I'm just waiting on someone to tell me no Creed 3 is great go see Creed 3 I've heard a bunch of people say that Creed 3 is great I've seen it's gotten some good reviews and it's obviously making money but um, I've seen enough people that I trust say that about Creed 3 but like yeah haven't seen Creed 3 haven't seen Scream 6 haven't seen I'm not um, seeing Scream 6 I haven't seen God. There's a bunch of them. Like I, yes. Uh, I know but that anyway, people will be mad at me. I'm glad everyone's having a good time. But after that fifth Scream movie being so stupid and to me a complete about face to the sensibility of what Kevin Williamson uh, and Wes Craven brought to those movies, um, and You're- also inventing dumbass words like requel. I'm sorry. I'm I'm out. I'm with you on this. Until they get new people involved with this. uh, I didn't love Scream 5 either. I thought I was a little puzzled as to how many people seem to really like it. I didn't hate it that much, though. I I was like, people generally have a a sense of goodwill that I completely understand towards that franchise. It's just like, I don't know. Everything in that movie felt like conversations that were happening very online and not in the real world and five years before that movie even came out and i'm like kevin williamson was like pushing conversation and even like when it's scream three which like now we understand that movie better than we did at that time but like that movie's all about like sexual abuse within the industry and like yeah. that's ahead of what when okay. that conversation would happen like okay. i don't know it, 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 I'm not willing to grant Scream Three that that degree of of importance and prescience. Ultimately, I think Scream sure, 3 and I understand a, because it's not a movie that completely works. But like, I do think it's a very forward thinking uh, franchise generally, and this one felt like it felt yeah. like I don't know. Yeah. Crap. <laughs> It's a movie. The, the, these these later movies feel like they are, and obviously the original four were all sort of in dialogue with the ones that came before it, also. But this way feels like you're, you know, you're doing a film school project on the screen movies a little bit. Um, anyway, and on, like film Twitter and like, uh, I don't, yeah. I That's barely want to exist on film Twitter. Part so of me like, was mad that they capitulated to fan demand and cast uh, Hayden Panettiere in um, in Scream Six because I was like, I, get I hope that they everybody... don't waste her though because she, I do think she's fabulous in four. I do too, and I but like it just felt like I anytime anybody caves to fan demand that way, I'm just like you know wussy. Like, you, you know what I mean? Just like against it. I get it. I get yeah, it. I think it's just I think it shows a weakness of character. Anyway, uh, do you want to move on to the IMDb game? <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. Every episode we end with the IMDb game where we challenge each other to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles released years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. 
Indeed, that's the IMDb game. All right, Chris, would you like to give or guess first? I'll give first. I feel like we've been on a trend of only saying we'll guess first. So, and uh, I chose benevolence. Um, She's giving. I know that we've been in somewhat of a uh, cruelty state to one another (laughs) with our IMDb challenges. Oh boy, that Um, soapbox is creaking. Is uh, is (laughs) I don't know. All right. uh, Julia Roberts for Secret in Their Eyes is mm-hmm. fresh off of an Oscar nomination, her first Oscar nomination since her win with August Osage County. August Osage County has a large cast of that cast that we haven't done before that I chose for you that will make you, I presume, very happy is Juliette Lewis. I was going to say you're going to go for Juliette Lewis. Uh, I, mostly because I think we've done IMDb games for everybody else. <laughs> The August Osage <laughs> County cast. Even like Abigail Breslin. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I, but like definitely Julianne Nicholson, definitely Margot Martindale, definitely Chris Cooper. Um, all right. Can I just say it? The Say it. You can only like one Scientologist rule, or you can like one Scientologist rule. Yeah. Juliette Lewis is always the one that I'm like, oh, but can I have two? Why? Who's your one? Lizzie Moss. Oh, right. Lizzie Moss. Yeah. Juliette Lewis makes you want. You want to break that rule a little bit. I'll allow it. Um, I do love Juliette Lewis. Um, what was the thing that I saw recently where, oh, <laughs> I was watching old, this is going to be a little bit of a tangent. I was watching old I Love the 80s uh, episodes on oh, YouTube. Oh, so good. And it was, um, they were talking about Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam. And um they would like talk and Juliet Lewis is one of the different celebrities they talked to who's just like, Oh my god, I love Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam and she was talking about like Okay, a huge part of my teenage life was Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam. I could sing you the songs right now, but I'll spare you. One of my favorites was Can You Feel the Beat? Can you feel the beat within my heart? Can you see my love shot through the dark? Juliet Lewis loves Can You Feel the Beat? You don't understand, I live for her. I want to meet you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, highly recommended. It made me uh, fall in love with Lisa Lisa. All again. Okay, anyway. Juliette Lewis. Any television? No. All right. I'm so excited for Yellow Jackets to come back. I have screeners in my inbox. I'm, I, They're burning a hole in my inbox. I can't wait to watch them. Anyway. Um, Natural Born Killers. Correct. Tremendous performance. The thing about Cape Fear is it's her one Oscar nomination, which tends to help in the IMDb game, but it's also very long ago. But it is a Scorsese movie, so I'm going to say Cape Fear. Cape Fear, correct. Okay. Why would you have any doubt that Cape Fear would be there? I don't know. It just feels like it's... it's. I don't, I don't know if people talk about necessarily her in that movie as much anymore, even though they should. Um, all right, Julia Lewis... I think Strange Days is probably a little too much. Um, I think her, the fact of her in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is maybe a little too obscure. Um, I think Ma is a classic, but I think her role in that one is too far down the cast list. (laughs) How are we going to work this out with Juliette Lewis? How are we going to get Ma versus Megan to happen? 
<laughs> I am team, This is not my idea. This team is not Ma. my idea. Team heard, Ma in Ma versus Megan, for sure. Um, all right, I'm just going to hold my breath and uh, take a gulp and take a breath and go ahead and sign the scroll and vote for, I uh, guess, the other sister. Incorrect. Okay, good. Um, Sometimes there is justice in the IMTV game. Good, 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 good. Okay, and I'm glad to take that strike. I'll happily take that strike. Um, God, what were, like, the big, like, early 90s, like, Juliette Lewis starring uh, roles? Uh, Gilbert Grape. Uh, what's eating Gilbert Grape? Incorrect. So you're going to get your years. Okay. Your years are 1996 and 2013. 1996 and 2013. Okay. 1996 is... Wait, Strange Days is 95, right? I could not tell you. And Strange I Days, is Strange Days 96? No, it's not. It's not, okay. Strange Days is finally available on streaming. Yeah. Because like, there's only that dog shit DVD out there because of all the music in the movie. Like, That's the thing about music rights and movies and the way that it's made so many things unavailable. It's like, just don't put popular songs in your movies. Strange don't Days was on HBO... Major- was on HBO so often when I was in college, so I watched. Mm-hmm. That's when I watched it. Was like right, a ton. and uh, now I believe it's on HBO Max or or Hulu. It's uh, available again. Right, Watch so, it while you can. Yeah. Wait. So what's her nineteen? 19- oh, is nineteen ninety six? Um, the Evening Star. No movie we've done on this podcast um i believe this is a movie that took you a while to get for one of the other stars of this movie oh interesting well also 2013 is august sh county i forgot i there forgot that everybody there you go. can't believe every, it took you that long to get at, well because i was stuck at this in the point 90s. i do think literally everyone on the poster has yes been known for. yes it's the it's Except the hair for maybe meryl it's the hair hairspray is the musical version, and then uh, August Osage County is the dramatic uh, version of, uh, of uh-huh, everybody. Uh-huh, yes. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so ninety six. She's not in. Everyone says I love you. Is she? She could be, but it's not it. But it's not that. Okay, you need to go to a different genre. Not uh, a not an awards movie. Horror. Yes. Ninety six horror. California's too early for that. Um, I've never seen California. Is that a horror movie? Sort of. It's like, it's, you know, killers. She and, and sure. uh, Brad Pitt are killers. Um, good movie. I would recommend it. At least uh, as I remember it, it's been a very long time since I've seen California. Um, oh, no. 96. Horror. So that just predates... Teen horror. Scream was at the very end of '96. Um, it's a very starry cast. Really, the the headliner of this movie would never be in a movie like this today. But like, top like an, of the A list. Really, an A lister. It's not like Texas Chainsaw: The Next Generation or something like. It's not one of those <laughs> no. level. No, no, no. Um, damn. Why am I am I gonna like be mad at myself that I didn't get this? Also starring someone who is very buddy buddy with the director, who is also a director himself. Oh. But this is like too early for like the Ty West, the whatever that whole little group. Um Sam Raimi? No, but you're getting much warmer. Carpenter No. Colder. Colder, okay. Um, uh, 
Sam Raimi warmer. This is a genre movie. Uh, like you said, a horror movie. It's violent. It has one of our faves in it. I believe this was hard to get on our faves known for when we've had it before. All right. Is our fave of an actress? Our fave is an actress. And she's an is she an award winner? Is she an Oscar winner? Not yet, but we will uh we will do what we can to make that happen. We just said about Laura Linney that we would do that. Um Oh gosh. Oh, also man. starring a recent uh drag race cameo performer. Danny Trejo? Oh, yes. oh, oh my god, this is from Dusk Till Dawn. It's I from always Dusk forget Dawn. that, but that makes a ton of sense that that's yes. That yes. was at the tail end of I can't believe Juliette Lewis is still playing a teenager. <laughs> um, <laughs> in 1996. Yes. She's good in that. Everybody's good in that. Uh, wait, oh, it's Salma you're talking about. Uh, yes. We are going to work very hard. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. All of your clues now in retrospect make a ton of sense. Uh, who else was on this recently? Was it Salma's? Was, was this Salma. on Salma's? I believe at one point, whenever we would have done Salma, mm. it, maybe yeah. it was Clooney that it was... It would be very weird if this is on Clooney's known for. It would be. But yeah, I love that movie. I think it's a great movie. Um, whew, okay. It. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. That took me a while. This Halloween season, watch from dusk till dawn. I think you will be happy with it. Um, all right. So, uh, El Secreto de Sus Ojos won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film at the 2009 Academy Awards. I went into the acting nominees from that year to pull a IMDb game uh, choice. Somehow, we have never done an actress who got her first Oscar nomination that year. First of, I guess, two by this point. Um, Sandy? No, it is Carrie Mulligan. Mm. So give me that known for, for Carrie Mulligan. This is going to be tricky because it's all going to be semi-recent and it's all going to kind of blur together. She did get enough awards recognition that I think... An education is going to be in there, so I'll say an education. Incorrect. Wow. I know. Surprising. Um, Promising Young Woman is new, but like that's a significant enough awards trajectory, etc. So Promising Young Woman? Incorrect. I swear I didn't do Neither this Neither of her Oscar nominations. Interesting. Yes. It's not. This is not a Jada situation where I sort of baited you to uh, ask the, <laughs> to, to get two strikes right away. No. Um, yeah. Very surprising, though, that both of those are not on her known for, considering Oscar I'm nominees. I'm so mad about Jada's known for. <laughs> um, All right. So your years are 2010, 2011, another 2011, and then 2015. One of those has to be Wall Street 2. Incorrect. Based on the years, no, not huh? Wall Street Two, not Wall Street okay. Two. That was a 2010 movie, but that's not that's not a Wall 2010, Street. Twenty ten, money never sleeps. Two 2011s and what? A 2015. Okay, is 2015 far from the matting crowd? No, I think okay. that was maybe. Um, no, it was. It's Suffragette. It's Suffragette. Yes, Suffragette. Okay, never let me go. Never let me go. Yep. Um. Okay. So you're missing the two 2011s. Okay. What did she do after that? 
she's dodged franchises and such. Mm-hmm. So, not far from Madden Crowd, but what was between? Oh, Drive. Drive. Yep. Yeah. Uh, is that the same year as Shame? I am not shame. in a position to answer. Yes, Shame. <laughs> yes, okay. it was the same year as Shame. Yes, there's your known for. Um. I'm shocked that Suffragette is there when her two Oscar-nominated roles are not there. But otherwise, I think that's a solid lineup. Never let me go. Shame. Drive. Good. Yes. Right. I approve. All right. Fantastic. Yeah. Good job, Chris. Well done. Thanks, uh, that's our episode. Listeners, if you would like more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz and our Instagram at thishadoscarbuzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mebius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So come back inside from your suspiciously large barn and write us something nice, won't you? That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Salute.